1: Hey, gumshoes! Welcome to episode number one of Detect This here on Film Geek Radio. This is our podcast devoted exclusively to the HBO series True Detective. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Charlie Nash. Hey, Andrew. How are you doing, Charlie?
0: Uh, I'm actually pretty shaken up. The crime scene I was at today was really disturbing.
1: Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Charlie. Uh, You might be interested to know that I caught a devil last night. Oh, you
0: did? With one of those bird's nests? Yeah, one of those little traps.
1: Yeah, totally worked. Caught it, took it out back, shot it, it's okay. You need to teach me how to make one of those then. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this week we're going to be discussing episode one of season one of True Detective. The episode is titled The Long Bright Dark, and like every episode this season, it was written by Nick Pizzolatto and directed by Kerry Fukunaga. Charlie, why don't you go ahead and remind our listeners what happened on this episode?
0: In 1995, Louisiana detectives Martin Hart and Rust Cole are assigned to investigate the murder of former prostitute Dora Lange. Hart is a Christian and a family man, while Cole is divorced and a recovering alcoholic. Cole is also an intellectual with a very pessimistic view of the universe, and he often has trouble sleeping. He believes that Lang is the victim of a serial killer who adorns his victims with spiritual iconography for a specific purpose. Seventeen years later, Hart and Cole are interviewed by two new detectives who are working a very similar case. It appears as though the person they caught in 1995 might not actually be the real killer.
1: All right, Charlie. So the show premiered a couple days ago. It got pretty good ratings, even though the Golden Globes run at the same time. I believe I read it had, I think, 2.3 million viewers, which is pretty good for an HBO show. It's about double what girls received. So, just to get things started, um, what were your overall thoughts on the premiere episode of True Detective?
0: I love the pilot. I'm so hooked, Andrew. From the first uh, opening shot with the beautiful cinematography of the Southern Gothic setting with the field on fire, which we don't even know what that is yet. They teased us with that, and we don't know if that's something that happens in 1995 or
1: 2012. It looks like the same field where the crime scene was at with that tree.
0: Yes. and uh, But at the same time, we don't know what, what time it takes place in. I think that this is going to be one hell of a show, Andrew. I was pretty riveted. I think that Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey are superb in these roles. Their performances are amazing. We've seen these type of characters before. We've seen this type of plot before. But... It's done with such great writing, and Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson are magnetic and electrifying in these performances, which could have been very stale cardboard stereotypes of other characters we've seen before, but they make them real flesh-and-blood characters with vulnerabilities that we've also seen in other stories before, but they feel fresh here, and um, it's chilling. This I, I watched this episode late at night by myself. And it really got under my skin. The tone, the, the way it's shot, uh, especially the crime scene. The fact that we don't see the murder, we only hear of the aftermath and the way it's shot from these very uh, disturbing angles. And the gorgeous but very dark cinematography. I think it's going to be great, Andrew. I'm really looking forward to next week's episode.
1: I agree with you. I think this was a very, very strong pilot, and I, I'm interested in the fact that you were really creeped out when you saw it, because this is a show that actually, it, so far, it doesn't have a lot of gore, Mm-mm. and I was expecting, in some ways, for it to be more graphic than it actually was. I don't think, visually speaking, there was anything in this episode, uh, aside from a tiny bit of nudity, that you wouldn't find on something like Hannibal.
0: I've heard that comparison, too.
1: Right, right. And overall, the cinematography of the show, I thought, is really gorgeous. And it did remind me a lot of of the cinematography of Hannibal, especially that crime scene and the way it's depicted almost as a work of art, as this elaborate display of a corpse. And then you've got these artifacts around the body. Um, And I, I thought that that was really interesting. And you mentioned that we don't know when that opening scene of The Field on Fire takes place. I think that that's a really, really interesting decision. That decision to tell this story out of sequence and to just constantly be flashing back and forth between 1995 and 2012. And as a result of that switching back and forth, and because this is a story in some ways being told to us, by detectives hart and cole in 2012 and they're relating the events back to us it 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 feels very much like a puzzle like there will be little pieces of info little things that they mention that will make me go oh well that's kind of interesting and i'm hoping that they will continue to develop these different things that they uh that they mentioned in the pilot and just start to i'm looking forward to seeing it all kind of coalesce and come together as we learn what happened in 1995 and what led these characters
0: to where they are. Definitely. Um, Little things such as Matthew McConaughey Doesn't Drink in 1995, in 2012... He has a line where he says, can you run out and get me beer when he's being interviewed? And the guy says, it's noon. And he says, yes, Thursday's my day off. I start drinking at noon. You're not going to stop me from doing that.
1: Well, well, okay, just a point of clarification. It's not that he doesn't drink in 1995.
0: He's a recovering alcoholic. He is me. a recovering
1: alcoholic, yes. Yeah. And by 2012, he has apparently lost that battle. He's mm-hmm. not even really trying anymore. Yeah, He has accepted his alcoholism, and that that's who he is and who he wants to be. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what leads to that. Also, apparently, uh, in 2002, we find out that Detectives Hart and Cole had some sort of a falling out, and they have not spoken in 10 years. So it'll be interesting to see what prompted that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's little, little threads and little pieces of info like that that really... Got me interested because they give you just enough to to make you realize, oh, these are three-dimensional characters. Mm -hmm. These characters, in some ways, have already changed. Now I, I want to see that process.
0: Exactly. And that's a very interesting decision because they could have told it linearly. And I probably still would have been gripped. But in a way, I feel like showing us flashbacks and flash forwards makes it all the more gripping because it gets our imaginations running. And I guess that's why it creeps me out so much is that um, Matthew McConaughey is very pessimistic in 1995 and he's like you know, in pretty good shape. I mean, he's a recovering alcoholic, but he's clean shaven. He's good looking. He's doing his job. He doesn't sleep. He's got some problems, but he's hanging in there. And by 2012, he's, you know, ragged. His hair is long. He's got this disgusting, like shaggy mustache. And he looks like he's just completely worn out and ready to die. And his pessimistic monologues in the car with Woody Harrelson about the nature of man and how he believes mankind should stop being so self-aware of itself and that we should just not be... The, the fact that we are a conscious species is actually uh, a disturbing curse as well as a blessing. That's the sort of stuff that creeped me out, is the is that it feels like a very cynical, bleak show, but I don't mean that as a, a criticism. I mean that is... It, it reminded me a lot of uh, Seven uh, in more ways than one with the crime scene, for example, that where we never see the actual murder... But uh, we hear about it in graphic detail later, and that gets—that's so much more disturbing to me than actually watching something like that. Because if they showed what they described on television, it probably would have been close to torture porn, and it probably would have been pretty despicable. But it reminded me of the crime scenes in Seven, where you also don't see the actual murders; you just hear about it in detail, and that makes it so much more horrific. And. I guess the vibe that, you know, the, the pessimistic vibe, I feel like something bad is going to happen to Woody Harrelson's family because he's the more optimistic one. He doesn't want to listen to Matthew McConaughey's, as he puts it, realist view of the world. And the fact that Matthew McConaughey is so negative in 1995 and then he's like this complete utter mess in 2012 gets me worried that, you know, the, this show's going to go to some pretty dark places. And it already started off dark.
1: Well, just to touch on that a little bit, I, I think that you're right. The show is probably going to go to some dark places. I'm not sure I would say yet that it's a pessimistic show, even though Matthew McConaughey's character, Detective Cole, is certainly a very pessimistic person. I'm, I'm not sure yet whether Nick Pizzolatto and Kerry Fukunaga are ultimately going to align themselves with him and say, well, yeah, it turns out Cole was right. Mm-hmm. The, this really is how the world is, and it really is this terrible. Or if they're going to show us some dark places, but then bring us out somewhere more hopeful. I, I'm not quite sure yet if it's fair to say the show is pessimistic. It's certainly very cold mm-hmm. um, and very distant at times. And before we really dive into the characters, I, I just want to mention a few things uh, just about the craft of the show. I noticed that there are a lot of scenes. Where the camera is pretty much static and also just at eye level or shoulder shoulder level. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of medium shots mm-hmm. visually, it felt kind of repetitive and redundant, but not necessarily in a bad way. It, yeah, it, it felt almost like an extension of the opening scene where we we, we find out that um, Matthew McConaughey's character Cole and uh, Woody Harrelson's character Hart are being interviewed, and you see that, you know, these two other detectives, they set up the camera, and they shoot this interview, and it's just a medium shot at eye level of them talking, Mm -hmm. and I felt like the camera kind of stayed in that position throughout most of the scenes.
0: Yeah, it definitely did. The only times I can think of where it didn't and where it really creeped me out when it didn't were the crime scene. The way the crime scene was shot was just so creepy with the her hands being bound and the deer antlers and uh, the tattoo on her back.
1: Yeah, the crime scene is the one big example I can think of where the camera did start to move a little bit more. Mm -hmm. There were a a lot more shots at an angle, either looking up or looking down. There's a shot where the camera kind of like starts to float back and up and kind of take in the whole crime scene. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that is one scene where the camera does move around a little bit more. And I thought that that was interesting that that was the scene they chose to use the camera that way.
0: There's also one shot I liked where uh, it's from Hart's point of view, but he talks about how he went to Matthew McConaughey's apartment and it's basically just a blank white apartment with a mattress on the floor. That wasn't so much of a medium shot, I thought. I thought it was kind of telling about Matthew McConaughey's character, how he's lost a lot from what we've been told. That, you know, he is no longer married after the death of his daughter. The crime scene is also on his daughter's birthday, which is, I'm sure, is going to come back and uh, mean something pretty significant uh, as the show progresses in terms of its plot. And I thought that was kind of oddly a very good way of showing how this character is lonely and empty and it kind of conveys why he's so pessimistic and just that one shot of his room
1: right i think that he's a really interesting character and i have a theory <laughs> that i was thinking about during the episode i'm not sure if the writers want me to be thinking this theory or if it maybe they do and it's just a red herring do you think i'm gonna throw this out there charlie do you think cole is the killer
0: uh, that's. I was thinking that too, honestly, because I think it's a possibility, definitely.
1: Well, here's why I, I asked that, Charlie. And maybe this is being too over-analytical here, but from a literary sense, names are important. And I always find it interesting to look at what showrunners and what filmmakers name their characters. Okay, Woody Harrelson's character is named Martin Hart, because he has the most heart. Mm-hmm. He's clearly the more emotional, I think, of the two And the most optimistic and kind of jovial and and normal. And then you've got Matthew McConaughey playing Cole, which kind of sounds like Kill. Mm -hmm. And yeah, maybe that's overanalyzing it. But I was thinking that's kind of odd. Yeah. And he's obviously very depressed. He's an alcoholic. He's very pessimistic. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't have much stuff in his apartment. He spends a lot of time thinking about death and Jesus in the garden at Gethsemane and whether or not to kill himself (laughs) every morning. So I was thinking, okay, if I mean, granted, they haven't really interviewed many suspects yet. Yeah. But just going by the characters we've met so far, he seems like the clearest suspect at this point. Definitely.
0: I mean, yeah, we're only one of eight episodes in, but even the cliffhanger where it's like, well, this murder victim was killed in a similar fashion, and it ends on him, the line of him saying, we'll start asking the right fucking questions, and then it cuts to black. That could also be like a clue, possibly, maybe?
1: Well, yeah, I was thinking throughout the episode, okay, these people are interviewing Detective Cole in 2012. Why? And at the end, they reveal it's because, oh, there's been another murder and they want his opinion. But I was thinking, oh, what if now in 2012, he's the suspect?
0: That's a good point. And I could totally see that being a possibility. Also, I did notice that with the names too. I mean, Martin Hart, he's the family man, he's the optimist, he's the one who doesn't want to hear Matthew McConaughey's pessimistic views on the world. And then just visually, I mean, rust coal, I couldn't help but think of, like, the colors of rust and the rust of, like, a piece of coal or charcoal. And it's just, like, you know, gross black, you know, like, I I don't know, just the names are a little on the nose, but I like that. I think that adds to the style of the show, and
1: uh, it's very appropriate. Right, and and just rust and that idea of something being worn down Mm and rusty. I'm like, yep, that's a, that's pretty much an accurate summation of his character. He's very <laughs> worn down at this point. Definitely not in his prime. Life has kind of done a number on him. Uh, you mentioned that he's lost a daughter. Did he hallucinate her? Because there's that shot in the car where he sees the little girl waving at him. And then his next question is, do you believe in ghosts? Is the next line out of his mouth. And I was like, wait, did he just like have a vision of his daughter or something?
0: Oh, That's a good point, and that just makes me think, didn't they find LSD in the uh, victim's system? Oh, right, yeah. So that... Could be something. <laughs> I feel like we're, we've watched one episode of the show and we're like, Matthew McConaughey's the killer. There's no way he can't be.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we know he does Quaaludes. Uh, he says it's for sleep, but if you've seen The Wolf of Wall Street, you know that uh, Quaaludes can't, aren't, they aren't just for sleeping.
0: No. Uh, I've seen The Wolf of Wall Street twice and, uh, oh my God, I will never think of Quaaludes the same way again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe we'll get a scene... Uh, in True Detective, like the one where Helena Netter DiCaprio is on Quaaludes and Wolf of Wall Street, will have to wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew McConaughey will, will suddenly turn this show into into a comedy (laughs) oh my god
0: it will be a very i mean wolf of wall street was a dark comedy but if they turn this into a comedy oh my
1: god (laughs) okay just moving on a little bit here i think it's kind of interesting how they're bringing in all this spiritual religious iconography clearly the killer is interested in that sort of thing i don't want to i don't know if you'd say paganist or, or or pantheistic iconography. There's a scene when Cole and Hart visit a church, and the pastor is played by uh, Clark Peters, who's an absolutely wonderful actor. Uh, People may recognize him from The Wire in movies like Red Hook Summer. But he's the guy that informs that this object that was found at the crime scene is actually like a devil trap. And he says that he learned that from his aunt, who was super into Jesus, but as he, he, he mentions, also into Santeria a little bit. So I thought that that was interesting. And there's this line, he says, you know, I always just thought it was something for children to do, keep them busy, tell them stories while they're tying sticks together. And as he says that, the camera cuts to a shot of the cross hanging in the church, which is two sticks tied together. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. And I thought that was interesting. They're kind of linking different spiritual practices and beliefs together or saying that maybe they come from the same impulses. You've got this Christian iconography... And then you've got this more nature-driven iconography, but at the end of the day, they're both just sticks tied together.
0: Yeah, those stick figures reminded me a lot of the things that the teenagers found in the Blair Witch Project. Mm, right. That kind of referred to Satanism and whatnot. It's, it's another factor of this show that reminds me of Seven a lot, because Seven had to do with, you know, the killer killing through the seven deadly sins, and he was very religious. And um, it also made me think of... Uh, how, especially in the South, if it's a religious crime, it gets a lot more attention and it feels a lot more disturbing as opposed to most murders. Because I remember, I I saw this documentary uh, recently that came out this year called West of Memphis, which was all about three teenagers who were falsely accused of murdering two children in a satanic ritual. And to get more media out of it, people lied on the stand and framed these kids and said they were satanists and they did horrible satanic rituals, which is complete bullshit. First of all, they didn't kill these kids. The real killers still out there. But second of all, um, it wasn't a satanic murder at all. It, it, It was scientifically proven not to be because they had found a lot of evidence in terms of the crime scene. but. It did make me think of, like, how, especially, uh, it makes sense that the show now takes place in the South and has to do with religion, because I feel like that's relevant to, uh, a lot of crime that has occurred in contemporary culture, and I feel like, you know, I'm not even a religious person, but if religion is a motive for a crime, that creeps me out, too, because I'm, I mean, I consider myself to be agnostic, but... It, it definitely makes it more disturbing and it makes it more thought-provoking in terms of the themes about what they're trying to say about religion, faith, spirituality, or, you know, the idea of Satanism. And I don't really know what they're going for yet here, but it's definitely intriguing. And I'm sure it'll come into play later on in the series and possibly develop the characters more.
1: I always think it's really interesting when crime shows focus on religion, because that to me just adds such a such an interesting layer to things, since religion does get to the very heart of what some of these shows are about, whether it's good versus evil, or right and wrong, and that whole idea of crime, and what is a crime, what isn't a crime, what is quote-unquote sinful, so to speak, um, that whole idea of judgment, and getting back to Cole and his whole pessimistic philosophy— Just ideas of why are we here? How were we created? Where do we come from? What is our ultimate purpose? Are we natural beings? Are we spiritual beings at all? And I I love how just by bringing up religion in a show like a in a show like this it just adds a lot more texture I think to the proceedings, and you're right it it does add some interesting layers just in terms of the community that they're working in, the people that they're around, the ideas that they're going to be confronted with. There's a really interesting scene when their boss, a the police chief, is meeting with I think a, a priest or a local religious figure from the area, and. This guy makes a comment that it was an anti-Christian crime, which Detective Cole just kind of scoffs at. But just that whole idea that, oh, if there were religious motives, it must, by its nature, we're going to assume, be anti-Christian, as opposed to just pro something else. That, to me, I thought was interesting, that idea that, oh, if it's a religious crime, it must be an act of persecuting Christianity. That persecution complex and that that martyr complex, I thought was interesting that that got brought up in this episode.
0: Absolutely. And um, I mean, not to go keep going back to the West Memphis three, but like the kids who were accused of the murder were considered to be outsiders in high school. They listened to, you know, gothic music, they dressed up in black. And that whole culture in Arkansas back in the 90s, it really freaked some people out. And when these kids were found up dead, and they had relationship to these kids, they kind of jumped to assumptions that, you know, they must be behind it. And it must be because they are the most anti Christian people we can think of that or have a connection with them. And it must be satanic if it's anti-Christian because this is a very Catholic town and we are people of, of faith. And the fact that, um, I, I did like this, they didn't go into this a whole lot, but there was some perspective on how the media covers this story and how they don't want to give out information on the way she was found murdered. And... Um, How they're not exactly treating the victim with as much respect uh, in terms of how uh, in terms of revealing that she was murdered because they're scared shitless, basically. But at the same time, it's probably it's getting the police force a lot of attention because it's a media frenzy. I did like how they hinted at that, and I feel like that's going to come back into play too. And I'm wondering if it's going to have any sort of social commentary on how the media reacts to not just serial killers, but serial religious motivation, especially when it comes to anti-Christian, as you said, quote-unquote, crimes.
1: Right, right. It, it just kind of getting back to the whole philosophical angle of the show and the fact that, you know, okay, you've got Detective Cole, who isn't religious, but has a cross in his house because he likes to think about uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and choosing to allow yourself to be crucified, and, and, and stuff like that. I was, I've been wondering the whole time that we've been seeing ads for the show, Charlie, where the title comes from. True Detective. What does that even mean? True Detective. Yeah. And as I was listening to Matthew McConaughey give these long monologues, about what he believes and, and, and what the purpose of life is and where we all fit into the grand scheme of things, I, was, I found myself thinking, okay, is a true detective really just a philosopher? Or is a philosopher a detective? Someone who's trying to figure it all out, put the pieces together, figure out why we're here, what the purpose is. If you can solve this crime, can if you think about it hard enough can you solve the meaning of life? Essentially. I I just really like how this show is, is using this one crime as a means to explore much larger questions.
0: No, I I agree. I feel like that makes it all the more disturbing too. I mean, like it is during very like, like crime scenes like this do raise those questions in real life where you think, how can somebody do this in a world where we believe that God loves everyone? You know, Jesus loves you. um, You know, you go to church, you pray you're a good citizen. And then how can something this horrific happen to someone who did nothing but good in this world? And while we don't know much about the victim, apart from the fact that she probably was was a prostitute, and yeah, a lot of people would say that that's a motive for the why she was murdered because she was a sinner, quote unquote. It, it does make you question: How could this happen? Why could someone do something like this? How could someone believe? That not uh, not only that the murder is justified, but the murder is justified in a spiritual, religious sense. And that's what I also find to be interesting, too. And it does a good job of putting you in Matthew McConaughey's head. I feel like it's even told from his perspective more than Woody Harrelson's because... I feel like the show got me wondering about all these philosophical questions as well. And it makes a pretty good point as to, like, Matthew McConaughey's theory that we're just animals that happen to be self-conscious. And, you know, maybe we shouldn't have been given these opportunities to think and feel and uh, become self-aware of all of these things. Because maybe there's no meaning in life. And it's very... Upsetting in some ways, and it's very bleak, but it's stuff that relates back to, you know, crimes in real life and serial killers like Ted Bundy and John Wayne Gacy. When people found out about their crimes, and we would think, How could someone actually do something like this, believe that what they were doing was okay and justified? And how could this happen to people who were nothing but good people, especially when they were people of religion that followed the path of God in many ways and went to church and uh, were very great? you know, human beings and it's very upsetting but it's also that you, it's interesting that you brought up the title too because True Detective, it sounds like it could have been a very bland show that could have aired on local cable along with Law and Order SVU or CSI But I I agree with you. I don't think that they're just naming it True Detective because it's about two detectives solving a crime. I think that it could have a metaphorical meaning to looking deeper into solving mysteries apart from crimes that could have to do with human nature and uh, spirituality. And this show is, we mentioned also that the show isn't very violent yet and it didn't show any violence, but this show is so much more creepy and real and thought-provoking to me than anything I've seen on Law & Order SVU or CSI. And I really hope that people give it a chance because I know it's a lot bleaker and it's not as fast paced in terms of those shows because usually Law and Order SVU and CSI, they solve the crime in one episode and it doesn't matter what episode you watch, it's just you know one crime per episode. And I feel like a lot of people might watch that show expecting something like that. Well, maybe not because it's HBO and HBO does have a good track run with its viewers. But I find this type of detective show to be so much more fascinating than your typical one hour of local cable detective dramas.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. And just getting back to the title... True Detective, uh, to be fair, that's also the name of uh, a magazine, True Crime Magazine.
0: Oh, I didn't know that.
1: There have been many editions of it. I think it started in like the 20s. Dashiell Hammett and Jim Thompson apparently, have contributed to this magazine. So the title is probably referencing that to a certain extent, just that whole idea of crime fiction and crime stories and and true crime even. But yeah, I I do think the title can have other meanings as well. And just getting back to this whole idea of religion and philosophy and, and, and these two main characters, I like how Nick Pizzolatto has written this premiere in a way that we can start to see how cole and hart view this case what it reveals about them and their worldview like there's a little moment i can't even remember when it is i think it's right after they visit the church and hart comments that oh based on this evidence it must be a personal crime
0: oh i don't remember when that is either but i do remember him saying that
1: yeah right and then cole responds well no actually it's an impersonal crime And that just sort of sums up their different worldviews right there. You know, you've got Hart, who it's implied he is a Christian. He's not nearly as pessimistic about life as Cole is. And he kind of views things as personal. And he probably even views religion on a personal level. That idea that God and Jesus, God became a person. You know, even religion... to a certain extent, is personal, whereas Cole is very much like no, it's it's all cold. He's he's distant. He's much more intellectual, and he's the guy that looks at this evidence, this the same evidence, and says, well, no, it's impersonal. So I just think that's really interesting how the way they view the world can impact how they look at this specific case.
0: I know I've mentioned Seven like seven times already, but that kind of reminded me of the relationship between Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. And while it's a bit different because Morgan Freeman's it's his last week on the job and Brad Pitt's the newbie and Brad Pitt's naive and Morgan Freeman's wiser, but they both had different philosophies on the serial killer and life that they were chasing. And that ended up adding to the growth of their characters. And I hope that this show does the same thing. Also it's a pilot where not much happens and yet it feels like a lot happens because we get such senses to who these people are even in only in the first hour of this series. Surprisingly, I was more riveted when they were focusing on character development as opposed to the case. Not when it went back to the case I was bored or anything like that. I was pretty much hooked all the way through. But I found the smaller, quieter moments where the characters are getting developed in subtler ways to be more intriguing than just chasing the serial killer, which is a lot different than Law & Order SVU and CSI, where it's all about the plot and it's all about getting this case solved in an hour with commercials. So it's from plot point to plot point to plot point. And, you know, the only character development will be like one of the cops pulls like a bottle of liquor out of his desk and it'll cut to black and you're like, oh, I guess he has a drinking problem or something right. like. Like it, it, I like the fact that this show is more prioritized with who these people are and getting us introduced to these people before we get too deep into the murder mystery. So by the time that we get really deep into solving the case, we have something at stake because we know who these people are and we have invested so much time in getting to know them. And that makes the drama all the more intense.
1: Yeah, the the last thing I want to touch on really quickly and just ask you about is this character of Detective Hart, played by Woody Harrelson, and his family life. We get the impression that he's working all the time. He doesn't seem to really be home a lot. There's a, this brief scene where his wife wakes him up. He's been sleeping in the living room in a chair. And then he uh, he just kind of immediately is like, oh, well, I have to go take a shower. I have to go. I have stuff to do. So we're already getting little hints that maybe his home life isn't very healthy. And also, I don't know if you've picked up on this, Charlie. Charlie? I got the impression when that woman from the DA's office or whatever came in to hand him the deposition, I got the impression that they were having an affair.
0: Really? I did not... Get that but I'm not gonna put it past you and maybe I should watch it again and look for that it, it seemed to me like he has a loving relationship with his wife but the one thing I will say is uh and I'm sure that they'll get around to this in episode two or three so maybe this isn't fair for me to criticize but we didn't really get to know who Michelle Monahan is apart from the fact that she takes care of the girls during the day and loves Woody Harrelson and cooks dinner we don't really know much about her at all she seems like The typical concerned wife, like, you're not living a healthy lifestyle. But it seemed to me like he was living a healthy lifestyle before, and this crime is going to set him on a downward spiral into psychological hell.
1: Maybe, maybe. But go back and and rewatch that scene, Charlie, because this woman from the DA, I think it's from the DA office, or whatever, whoever he was waiting for, she walks in the office, and as soon as he sees her... He immediately stands up, almost like he's been waiting for her, or he recognizes her, he knows who she is, and he walks over, and then he, the way Woody Harrelson says some of those lines, just kind of like, uh, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, just, uh, just come back here into this back room and, and we'll talk about it, or whatever. I kind of got the impression that he knew that woman, and <laughs> maybe they were trying to hide something, you know, the fact that she, she came over and she was specifically instructed to hand it only to him.
0: Only to him, yeah. Was that towards the end of the episode? I
1: think so, maybe? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't know why I'm having such a vague memory of that scene, because I feel like that's a really good point to bring up, and I feel bad that it's uh, a bit of a blur right now to me.
1: Well, I think it'll be interesting if he is having an affair, just because... Again, that's another clue as to how he views life and to a certain extent how he views religion because he kind of gets on Matthew McConaughey's back for not being a Christian or for being so bleak and pessimistic. But if he claims to be a Christian and yet here he is cheating on his wife (laughs) and really not living up to that standard, I guess you could argue that, hey, Matthew McConaughey, maybe his worldview is more pessimistic, but at least he sticks to it. He's committed. Yeah
0: he's, he's not not hipp- yeah, yeah, he's not a hypocrite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, will he get punished for that? And uh, does the killer know who this person is? Uh, will that come back to bite him? Will Michelle Monaghan or his daughters get punished in terms of that? I also find it to be interesting that Woody Harrelson has two daughters and Matthew McConaughey's lost a daughter, and I'm wondering if. Maybe I'm looking for something that's not really there, but I found that to be interesting that they both have daughters and as opposed to sons because I found the relationship and the tone of the show to be kind of uh, very masculine. It had a bit of a, and this is going to sound condescending and I don't mean for it to be, but it, it, it was a much more masculine and kind of both of the men seemed a lot more macho as opposed to like vulnerable, even though they are very vulnerable. They both seemed like... The typical uh, alpha male, kind of like, they're trying to be as masculine as possible because they're police detectives and they they have to, you know, be brave and be a man or whatever. Like, I found that to be interesting that they both have daughters. And do we know how Matthew McConaughey's daughter died? I know that it resulted in his marriage uh, ending after she died, but I don't remember if they say how she
1: did die and how old she was. No, I don't think they've told us that yet. But yeah, that's an interesting point, the fact that they have daughters. I mean, I I definitely picked up on the fact that the reason Matthew McConaughey ended up getting drunk... And, you know, and showing up to Woody Harrelson's house uh, intoxicated for dinner was because, you know, it was his daughter's birthday. And now here he's expected to go see this other guy with his family, his daughters being all happy, you know, the life he used to have. I, I understand why that would drive him to drink. But as opposed to why daughters and not sons, that's, that's an interesting point. I think it'll be interesting to see how the show continues to depict women. And, I mean, I mean Michelle Monaghan's character... We haven't really seen much of her. She's just the wife. She seems like a pretty nice person. And then you've got the two uh, daughters. I think it'll be interesting in some ways if the show does feel old-fashioned. I think you can be old-fashioned without necessarily being sexist, if that makes sense. I mean, I I do think it's easy for movies and TV to present women in very stereotypical ways, like as either just victims or as the Manic Pixie Dream girls who are there to save the men to a certain extent. I do think that in a show like True Detective, however, that might not necessarily be a bad thing. If they make that kind of a major theme that they want to focus on, that whole idea of this world is just so hard and we men are so corrupted or potentially corrupted but at home we have these kind of beacons of innocence and light. Yeah, that's kind of one-dimensional, but I do think it could add some interesting dynamics to the characters and to their relationships and to the themes of the show if they want to explore that. Yeah,
0: definitely. And I didn't get a sexist vibe from the show. I did think that Michelle Monaghan plays a stereotypical wife, but, uh, you know, it's only the first episode. Maybe she well, will grow, well, you know.
1: we. Well, the reason I say that, Charlie, is because If Michelle Monaghan, in particular, continues in that role, where really it's a very male-centered show and she's just the housewife at home, maybe the wife who's there to support her husband or maybe a victim to a certain extent. If that's all she is, I guarantee you, Charlie, there will be people who write about it and write long think pieces about how True Detective needs more well-developed female characters and how, oh, this is so old-fashioned and sexist, we need stronger female roles on television. And I fully agree that we need stronger female roles on television. I'm just saying, if the show becomes kind of an exploration of masculinity to a certain extent and how these two men view each other and view the world I don't think that you can necessarily fault it for kind of leaving its female characters off to the side
0: yeah if it's told through their perspectives and it's a character study of these two people who exist in a world I mean in Today, where you still have problems with sexism in, our, in pop culture. I mean, Skylar from Breaking Bad was a very strong female character, and what happened? Uh, she got a Facebook group that resulted in her getting death threats. And in real life, even though she just plays this character and is an actress, uh, the actress herself was threatened, or there were hate pages, and Skylar White was a really strong female character. Mo- more strong than most female characters, especially since she was the wife of a drug lord. Uh, she could have been a very stereotypical role and I think that was a great example of how to develop uh, the wife of the protagonist into something very fresh and original and strong and independent and um, another thing is that I feel like this show if it was gonna like it could have done the crime scene in a much more exploitative way first of all it could have shown it Second of all, there was nudity, but I never felt like the nudity was the focus of the shot if it was in the shot. Like, uh, I thought that, for example, when it shows her from the back angle, I felt like it was much more focused on the antlers and the tattoo. And then there's a shot of her fully nude in a morgue, but there's no full frontal nudity. I mean, there's... um, there, you see her breasts, but I think they're out of focus, and there's no, uh, there's nothing more specific than that. And I, I recall correctly, it, the shot's more focused on. The person who works at the morgue informing them on the crime than it is on, you know, the fact that there's a woman, a dead naked body right in front of them.
1: Right. And then at the very end, when they reveal that there's another victim and it's a naked woman who's been kind of strung up somehow. Yeah, the the nudity in the show is not very erotic.
0: No, if anything, it's anything but. And I and I was happy that like you know when this crime gets out and it's implied that she's a prostitute, which is a cliche. A lot of crime shows have a lot of women getting killed, and it a lot the common you know plot development is that she was a prostitute or a stripper or something. But it didn't have a lot of people going like, oh well, she's a whore. Who cares? She deserved it.
1: Well, well, what's interesting is that she's not. That's that's not like what she does all the time. They mentioned that she's just she'll occasionally sell her body when she needs to get by. Mm-hmm. But that she's she you know, she's kind of a drifter. She would only occasionally do that and you know, she she'd only did it when necessary to make some money and she was a drug addict she had all these other problems I think the premiere episode did a really good job of capturing this sense of economic hell that this community existed. you know when Matthew McConaughey says he feels like he's living in a faded memory just that sense of this place the world has moved past it it's on its way out it's definitely a community in decline you get a sense of the circumstances that would force people to turn to drugs or to sell their bodies, you you definitely get a sense of why those things happened, as opposed to just, oh, yeah, there's some drug addicts and some hookers, and that's who they are, and they're just here to serve a certain story purpose.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting, too, to think about a lot of crime shows like Law and Order SVU, for example, Uh, you know, New York City, CSI Miami, uh, CSI, there's a bunch of them that they usually take place in cities. And I find it to be interesting that They chose, it's a beautiful looking show, the cinematography is gorgeous, and yet it's gorgeous in a stylized, gothic way, where the town is never really that pretty looking. I mean, there aren't a lot, it's pretty run down, it's pretty rural, it's not an appealing town at all, and it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, which is another thing I found to be intriguing and a little more
1: realistic. Yeah, I don't even think they said the name of the town or the city, did they? I don't think they did, yeah, you're right. We just know it's somewhere in Louisiana. Mm Mm-hmm, and I find that
0: to be much more realistic because, like, in Law & Order SVU, apparently the worst crimes in the world all happen in Manhattan or CSI Mm -hmm. Miami, whatever. I find that to be all the more chilling, and they managed to make this show gorgeous and the setting gorgeous without ever making it look attractive or like you want to go there. I mean, a lot of people want to go to New York or Miami or L.A. or a lot of other places that these crime series take place in, and here I found it to be really interesting that... Everyone walks around as if they're already half dead. And yeah, everyone, you're right, everyone seems faded. The prostitutes they interviews, even the neighbors that he interviews, all the cops in the station. It, no one's, like, really fully alive, it seems like. Even Woody Harrelson is kind of, like, at this mellow, drifting through life phase. It seems like, yeah, the town has passed by. I agree with you.
1: Right, most scenes seem slightly desaturated. And as we've mentioned before, the only scene with more of a sense of life to it, even though most of the show is set in the daytime, the only time the show really felt bright to me was during that crime scene. When, when you had the golden fields around the crime scene that seemed very lush and golden and bright, and that's when the camera was, was moving more freely around. And I just think that it's very odd. I'm not. I'm, I'm still trying to process what the show creators might be trying to say by having everything else kind of appear so dead, but then during this crime scene, that's when things feel slightly less cold and clinical.
0: Yeah, and it's not even like, that's like the sunniest scene of the pilot, but it's not even that sunny. It's more like partly sunny. It's right. basically cloudy, right. but, and, and it's very gray, uh, everything from the clouds to the corpse. I agree with you. It did seem very saturated, and that's a really interesting point. It kind of reminded me of how Gore Verbinski shot his remake of The Ring in 2002, where it was that sort of style where it was uh, very gray and dead and saturated and beautiful, despite the fact that there weren't, the locations were beautiful, but in a very rundown, down creepy, gothic sense of style.
1: Yeah, overall, I'm totally on board with the show. I'm looking forward to seeing the next seven episodes and seeing what happened between 1995 and 2012 and what is going to happen in 2012 now that apparently someone else has been murdered. Uh, Any final thoughts on the premiere of True Detective?
0: I was hooked all the way through, but to end with that scene where you find out that a similar murder has happened and they did catch the killer in 95, but he might not be the right guy. That got me all the more excited for the next episode because from the way that it unfolds, I thought that the killer was never caught. And that was why they were interviewing Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson is because they never caught him. And it's just, there was never enough evidence and something might've come up. And while uh, that's sort of the case here, where it's very much implied that he wasn't caught and that he's still on the loose, I found that to be interesting that we now know that they did catch somebody. Who is the person they caught? Why do they think he did it? And, you know, now when they catch someone in this show, is that basically telling us, Andrew, this guy didn't do it? It's interesting to me because... Most crime shows, a big problem I had with The Killing is that it was, for its first season, it was all red herrings, and they kept trying to manipulate you into believing one character was the killer, and then they would pull in another twist, and they would say, actually, it's probably this person. And I have a problem with that, because a lot of the time during crime shows like this, if you're trying to convince me that this character three or four episodes into the show is the killer, and I know the series is 12 episodes long, I know I'm probably being manipulated, and that this is probably a red herring that won't add up to anything, but that makes the structure all the more complex to me now, that we're going to watch them catch someone, and it's probably not the real killer. So we know that they are now going to go down a trail that is probably not the right trail. I find that to be really interesting and really fresh in comparison to a lot of these other crime shows.
1: I agree with you, I agree with you. And yes, that ending scene where it was revealed that there has been another crime and that's why they're inter- interviewing Detective Cole kind of disproves my theory that Cole <laughs> is the killer. Um, <laughs> I, I'm gonna throw out another crazy theory, Charlie. Again, I have I don't have a whole lot to base this on, but because this is a podcast, we can just kind of say whatever we want. I'm just gonna throw this out there, Charlie. Don't have anything to back this up. But what if they did catch the right guy in nineteen ninety five, but Cole in his depression and his obsession with the case and his alcoholism and his bleak pessimistic view of the universe, what if he's now a copycat?
0: Uh, I think that could be pretty interesting, actually. And I don't think that's totally uh, out of left field or totally impossible. I think that would be really, really interesting, because that would be another plot twist that isn't necessarily manipulating us. It's just saying that we don't think we caught the right guy, and now there is a copycat. But that would still be interesting to me because I feel like they set us up now to expect that the guy they catch in '95 is the wrong guy, and that would be really interesting if he actually was the right guy, and then Matthew McConaughey was the killer, at least in 2012 with this victim. And as I'm thinking about it and processing it, it still would make sense in terms of the show's themes, I think. You know, he could have been so depressed and feeling like life is meaningless and, you know, God doesn't exist. And the fact that we were given self-awareness as human beings is a curse could drive him into madness. So I think that's actually pretty legitimate.
1: <laughs> have, have you seen the uh, The Shield? I haven't. I haven't okay. seen it. Well, for some reason, just these philosophical themes about life and and people and crime, the whole vibe of True Detective made me think of a moment in The Shield. I think it's in, like, season five when one of the detectives on the police force he is like interviewing this killer and the killer tells him all about what it's like to kill and this detective kind of ends up being haunted by that and just that idea of killing what does it mean to kill and there's an episode in which it finally drives him to kill a cat with his bare hands just to kind of experience it because he's been so haunted by this crime that he was investigating in this murderer that he caught. And that kind of made me think well, what if something like that happens to Detective Cole where he's just become so obsessed with this case that finally this crime mixed with his philosophical worldview and his broken personal life drives him to do something like that for whatever reason.
0: Yeah, I think that's completely credible and I'm sure that's happened in real life. I mean I'm not sure if we have any hard evidence of that but who knows i mean i think that serial killers are fascinating to study it's very disturbing there are times where i have to put a book down if i'm reading about certain cases and stuff like that and i know that it's a freaky subject that not a lot of people like to talk about and with good reason because it's such a dark side of life that a lot of people would prefer not to think about but i'm pretty sure that psychologically that would make sense i can see that very much making sense with the character psyche and the themes of the
1: show well that's the The scary thing about killers a lot of the time is that in their own minds, they feel justified. They feel like either it's the logical thing to do or it's what they need emotionally. They feel compelled to kill it satisfies some urge to them it makes sense to them they don't sit there and go hey this is really crazy what i'm doing they do it for a variety of reasons that make sense at the time and i could totally see this character of detective cole based on his worldview based on how he kind of looks at things finding a way to justify committing murder to himself
0: definitely. And, you know, I'm sure we're going to see his descent into hell even further because this is only the first episode. And we know that he gets to a very bad place in 2012 when he's already in a bad place in 95. And can I also just say that this one episode of this show has got us to think about so many more potent, thought provoking themes than anything we talked about in the eighth season of Dexter. (laughs) yeah <laughs> I, mean, I mean seriously like it's eighth season of dexter dexter's basically at that point where he's like well i kill bad guys and they do bad things so it's okay and that's there's nothing deep about that at all and this is just one episode of a show and we've already you know touched upon religion and the psychology of serial killers and faith and spirituality and i i think that's really fascinating
1: right and i'm sure it, it, in all likelihood the eighth and final episode of the season's going to roll around and we're going to be looking back and i'm going to be going i can't believe i predicted that Detective Cole was the killer. That was so (laughs) just, uh, what was I thinking? But but at least, like, at
0: least uh, it's getting us to think about these things and they all relate to similar themes that can be applied to other areas of our lives and other aspects of our culture today and our culture back then. And, you know, I'm sure we could watch this episode again and probably, you know, obviously when we see the whole thing, we'll have a completely different perspective. But I feel like we're not really... Reaching for, uh, we're not biting off too much we can chew with these theories, I don't think.
1: All right. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for this episode of Detect This. I think we detected some stuff, Charlie.
0: (laughs) I would hope so. (laughs) We'd be pretty bad at our jobs if we didn't.
1: Alright, well we'd love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at detectthis at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also leave us a voicemail either through the website or at 336-793-2509. We'd love to get your feedback and hear what you thought of this first episode of True Detective. You can also subscribe to us through iTunes and Stitcher, so if you like this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the program. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to share other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including *Cinema Fix*, *The Thin Place*, and *The Agents of Shield* cast. Charlie, where can people find you online?
0: You can find my work at MovieMezzanine.com and EdgeBoston.com, and you can listen to me and Andrew discuss the eighth season of *Dexter* under the *Avenging Angels* section of FilmGeekRadio.com, as well as the third season of *Homeland* under the *Briefing Room* section of FilmGeekRadio.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter at CTNash91. That's CTNASH91.
1: You can find some of my writing at moviemesnine.com and patheos.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. And I host a couple other shows over at Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix, which is about uh, mainstream blockbuster films, and the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast, which is about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC. Uh, If you do follow me on Twitter, be sure to send me a message, let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. Alright, that'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Charlie Nash. And we lack the constitution for suicide.
0: This has been a Film Geek Radio production.